It all started so simply. I had just finished my usual morning routine of nude funker size, fired up the Barca lounger, grabbed a quick bite to eat, and prepared to watch some serious tubes. Welcome to a slightly delayed episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm your host, Jeremy Parmentier. With me, as always, is Billy Holiday. Hello. And Jeremy Gregory. Hey, guys. Uh, I do apologize for the week delay in this episode uh, coming out. I had a lot of things going on in my personal life that just did not come together to record. Uh, but to avoid this from happening in the future, we're trying to get a couple uh, kind of emergency episodes recorded. So at some point, if at the end of a show I say, hey, our next game is going to be, you know, Super Mario Brothers, and the next week you turn it on and it's not that, uh, that's why. That means that something happened, but we did have a show. I don't like not putting anything up, but I also don't like recording a five-minute excuse for an episode, so uh, we did not record last week. But that's okay, because we're here this week with a game that I'm sure is going to be called a classic, because I do that for every game. But until we get there, Jeremy, what have you been playing since last time? Well, uh... The the steam the summer steam sale kind of got me and uh, I I got a few little games here and there nothing nothing too crazy but one thing I did pick up was uh, again The Witcher three oh. with the the sole purpose the only reason I bought this game was to play Gwent with the stupid people on that game because I missed it so much from last time and that was my goal with this game was to get to the point where I can play Gwent with everybody. And rebuild my decks um, that I was I, I stopped playing on PlayStation Four and just wanted to get back into that because I, I'm sure if anybody was listening to the podcast about a year ago, I guess um, I, I had a I got some problems with with yeah like it that. wasn't it wasn't pretty. <laughs> now let me, let me ask you this: I uh, you know the standalone Gwent is coming. What what are your thoughts on that? I mean, it's cool that it's coming, but I. I my problem with that is I would actually have to play with real people. And I don't want to play card games with real people. I want to play my fake shitty card game with these fake shitty elves in, in this game. You know, they, they talk some shit. I can go up to them. I, I beat them. You know, I win 50 gold. You know, life's good. Otherwise, you know, I've got to actually find somebody and be like, hey, you want to play, uh, want to play Gwent? And they, they just look at me like I'm stupid and have no clue what the hell I'm talking about. So with uh with this one with the with the fake Gwent, I can uh I can at least play people that I'm not afraid to play <laughs> a fake card game with. <laughs> Those innkeeps don't judge. They don't. I mean they, they will talk some shit, but I I have the ability to to kill them if I want to in this game. If you know I can just do that. But uh I, I cannot do that in real life. That is not something that I can actually do and, and not go to jail for. So I, I, I still, I just really enjoy playing that card game and going around and, and just finding people to play it with and and finding the different cards and all kinds of stuff. It's it's just it's still really fun and I, I'm gonna probably keep doing that. I, I can't say I'm any any better. I would play Final Fantasy IX again just to play that stupid ass card game with everybody in the game. Uh, although I do like the game as well, but uh, I will probably I will probably play the standalone Gwent because I'll never play The Witcher Three. I didn't care for The Witcher Two, 
Uh, I just didn't get into it. I think it was a great game that I was just not good enough to play. Uh, and I don't have a computer that's strong enough to play The Witcher 3. And unsurprisingly, I still do not have a PS4. I know this is going to come as a shock to both of you. But I still did not get it for my Father's Day slash birthday super celebration. Mm. Uh, instead, I got a card and a cup. So that's great. But, Time for a divorce. <laughs> but <laughs> I did, uh, because I'm the last supporter of the Wii U, uh, get a new Wii U game instead. I got Tokyo Mirage Sessions Sharp FE, uh, which well, is essentially Persona with uh, J-pop models. All right. And it's wonderful. It's everything I'd want a game that was explained as Persona with J-pop models to be. There are I'm, constant I'm music sure videos. Uh, you, you're, you're breaking into the J-pop world. You're going to be a Japanese pop star. Uh, so you're going through a Japanese pop star agency. But it turns out at the same time, you're also going to fight demons who are stealing people's... <laughs> they steal your ability to sing and your ability to show emotion with song. It's wonderful. It's absolutely the best game that I'm also the most embarrassed to play around to anyone ever. <laughs> I'll play it around my children because they don't judge me. They're four and two, but they will someday. Uh, but my wife came downstairs and I was in the middle of a boss battle and I actually just turned the whole damn thing off. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, it's uh, literally every fight is, uh, you know, you, you do the same thing you do in Persona. So all the, the spells are kind of the same. Uh, but instead of having the ability to where if you find a weakness, you get a second attack, instead it starts a chain. So if you, uh, if you hit a, a, a character's ice or a character with an ice spell and that's what they're weak to, if someone else in your party has a chain attack that builds off an ice attack, then they'll join into that attack. And then if someone else has a chain that joins off their attack, then they'll join into that attack. Uh, it's only three characters at a time so far. I'm only about ten hours in. Um, but it's it's the perfect game for the Wii U that I can't imagine any other person on in the United States buying and being excited about. But I, it's all for me, and I love it. At this point, it just sounds like you're making up Wii U games to talk about. <laughs> well, there's only there's only one a month, maybe that comes out, except for like on the the eShop. But this is no, this is incredible. This is I mean, it's, it's the people that made Persona, and and apparently there's some tie to Fire Emblem, which is what the Sharp FE is. I, I haven't figured out what that tie is, except apparently the. Instead of finding personas, you, you get these, uh, the mirages are supposed to be characters from Fire Emblem. But I've never played Fire Emblem, so I have no idea if that's true or not. But either way, it's basically Persona. And, uh, and it's a good break before Persona 5 hits, which I will not be playing, as I will probably not have a PS4. Uh, but uh, other than that, I've been playing a lot of the Mega Man uh, Legacy Collection. I'm up to Mega Man 5. I've decided I don't like Mega Man 5. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's the first one that doesn't seem to be fair. Uh, all the other games, you know, it's like once you find the weakness to a boss, you can pretty much destroy them. But Mega Man 5 seems to have a lot of bosses with really gimmicky attacks that once you earn them, they're fairly useless. So then when you do get them, you end up just using your charge shot against the bosses every time uh, instead of actually doing that. But I'm still enjoying it. I, I know you bought that at one point, Jeremy. I don't know if you've played it at all uh, to, to change your mind about Mega Man 8 being the best Mega Man. I've been I've been uh, kind of messing around with it, kind of going through the different Mega Mans and uh, I'm going to really try to make a, a serious run at beating the rest of those because I only beat Mega Man 2 and 3. I played Mega Man 1 a good deal. That was one of the very first games I ever played on the Nintendo. Um, but I, I never actually rented it or, or for myself. But Mega Man 2 and, 2 and 3, those are my games. But I've never played any of the other ones. And I always kind of wondered, like, when the the Mega Man A team stopped working on those and the B team kind of took over. And it kind of sounds like maybe around 5 or something four four <laughs> is really where you see the line drawn four is where really? they, they yeah. add the charge shot and it kind of makes it so that a lot of bosses don't need 
a gimmick to beat them, but instead they ha- you have to have like perfect timing and use the charge shot, which is kind of annoying, uh, especially when you don't realize because you didn't read the manual that you have a charge shot. So you play through most of four and can't figure out why you can't kill half the things you're fighting, and then you realize you have a charge shot and you feel like an idiot, uh, which is what I did, but I did finish uh, Mega Man 4. Um, it, it's not bad, but it's the start of where you can see where they're kind of like out of ideas. And five definitely seems the same, and, and I'll start six when I finish five and probably say the same thing. Um, but, you know, I'm enjoying that. Billy, what have you been playing? I've been playing uh, uh, with two games I've been playing a lot, and both of them had a, a significant uh, add-on to them over the week, and it's, it's changed them both in, in radically different directions. I've been playing that Overwatch quite a bit uh, at, at length. Most nights I try to get on and play at least a handful of matches, and they added a, a competitive kind of tournament-style mode where there are seasons, uh, and based on your performance, uh, you, you level up uh, in ranking, and you know at the end of the season, you're awarded things based on your rank, which I thought sounded, uh, I thought it sounded very appealing. I thought one of my main complaints was uh, playing with random people. You're not always as they're not always as prone to. Uh, the whole teamwork thing, which is the whole point of the game, uh, I thought, well, this is going to be, you know, the, the, the best of the best, you know, serious players playing this thing. Uh, you know, a lot of communication. They're going to band together. Uh, it's going to be a much more enjoyable experience. It turns out that they, Blizzard has somehow found a way to take all the fun out of the game, every ounce of it, like a like a wet rag. They just <laughs> wrung it out. Uh, this. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's brand new. I'm sure it's going to be patched and, and tweaked, and eventually it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but I just I have nothing but complaints about it right now. I, and it's the first time I played that game and really didn't have any fun at all with it. You know, and my, my night where I was going to sit down and play for about an hour, I had turned into about 20 minutes, and, and I was finished up, and I've, I've gone back to just playing the regular uh, mode now. Uh, several things. I mean, it's, it's stretched out the length of the matches, which I like the fact that you could play most matches where, you know, 10 minutes or under. Uh, I mean, now I, I was in a 40 minute match. Jesus Christ. 40 minutes. Yeah. And, and there are strict like penalties for, for leaving. Uh, if, if you do it enough, uh, you could be banned for the season. But I mean, over the course of 40 minutes, you don't know what's going to happen. Now I can safely sit down and play for 10 but uh, it's just that, and it, it's kind of become an every-man-for-himself thing. And I think uh, your, your ranking is determined by wins and losses, mostly, uh, which is a, a poor way of doing it because, I mean, you could perform, you know, you could have the, the game of your life on there. But if you're on a kind of lackluster team, you're going to lose, and that's going to look negatively against you. Uh, but, I mean, they, they factor in some of your personal performance so it seems like a lot of people are trying to keep that kill death ratio uh, in their favor and they're getting a few kills early on and then they kind of vanish into the background uh, mm. never never to be seen again uh, they're there uh, but they're just not out there doing anything i've encountered that a lot but uh i'm hoping they'll they'll mess around with it maybe after this first season make it into something that, that i actually would like to play also, Street Fighter V got an update. It got a, a significant story mode put to it. Uh, originally, and I'll tell you, I, was, I didn't know about Jeremy Gregory's recommendation when I picked this thing up because it was just a bare-bones game when I got this thing. You know, And each fighter had a very brief 
a uh, little story you could run through. It never amounted to much. But this story mode is is probably the finest one I've seen put into a fighting game. Uh, it is something. It's If you grew up playing Street Fighter, or if you grew up enjoying 80s cartoons by any chance, <laughs> th- this is a plot that, that's worthy of any Transformers, G.I. Joe, He-Man, anything like that. It's just ridiculous. You know, I mean, you've got your fan service. Everybody has their moment on there. And it's it's just all around very enjoyable experience, and it's it's got me playing online. It's got me playing Street Fighter Five quite a bit now, uh, even just online. It, it it helps the Balrogs around now also, which is the only character I've ever had any measure of success with. But I've mainly just been playing those two. Uh, I've downloaded a couple things off the PlayStation sale, uh, but nothing else I've gotten into quite yet. We'll say for that Street Fighter Five story. I mean, it's it's awesome and ridiculous and and so dumb, but it is, it has actually got me to like a, a few characters that I didn't actually like in the yeah. game. Yeah, like just just seeing them in that story mode um, and, and how they are and stuff. It it it's a new. I don't know. It just actually made me care for those some of those characters I just didn't care for before. Yeah, I will say if you were not a Karen fan before. You probably will be afterwards. She She's featured very prominently, uh, and I came out really liking that character, which I didn't think had much going for it besides just kind of, just, you know, the kind of snob character. But this does a lot for that. And for my boy Nash on there, he, he also has his time to shine. Well, I'm not a Street Fighter guy because I'm very, very bad at it. But I did spend a lot of time uh, since the last time we, we uh, recorded to play this week's game, which was Gex on the PlayStation. Yeah, I, I'm wondering if anybody can tell me what decade this came out in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Can, Technically, can we go 1995. Technically came out in 1995, originally on the 3DO only, and then was ported to uh, other systems later that year around Christmas <laughs> because the 3DO had seven fans, one of which our very own Jeremy Gregory. Mm-hmm. That's right. And uh, this, was, this was my pick, of course. I, I think I've actually mentioned this uh, on the podcast before. I love this first gex i actually love all the game all the gex games but this first one uh holds a a special place in my heart and i am not going to sit here and argue that this is an amazing game or anything like that i'm fully aware that it's mostly just nostalgia but um i still love this game i love playing i think it's um one of the better platformers uh around that time you know kind of late in the the 16-bit era um, moving on into the the whole PlayStation, where there there wasn't any uh, platformers, much of anything. So this was one of the kind of last uh, platform mascots, uh, you know, the, these kind of games that was ever made. But you know, like I said, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and, and try to say that this is some amazing game like General Chaos. But uh, <laughs> for me, I, I think uh, the, the nostalgia is so strong with it that I I still genuinely have fun just sitting down and playing through it. It's definitely one of the last 2D mascot characters that would have shown up at this time. 
Um, you're right. I mean, there were there weren't a lot more. The ones that did show up later didn't make a lot of games. I mean, you had Crash Bandicoot who did a bunch, and that's when they started, you know, making their own characters that were their own their own franchise. But all those were in some sort of 3D. This was a solid 2D platformer. There weren't many of them on the the uh, PlayStation, especially at the start of the uh, the system. Uh, I have to say, if I had a 3DO though, this probably would have been a game I I really really thought of highly. Because there weren't a lot of platform games on the 3DO, and this is actually like a quality platformer. Maybe not one you like or not, depending, and we'll get into that. But it's well made. It's got it's got a good number of levels. He has a Gex has a good number of moves. There's some difference in things that he, in in where you go and what you do. Like I thought it was a, a pretty well put together game. And if I had a 3DO, I guarantee I would have had this. Yeah, I, I have to say, regardless of anything else we say over the course of this, this is a very very confident platformer. Uh, it's it's very solid in its mechanics, and yeah, I, I like the the wide variety of stages on there. There are a lot of different locations. I have my complaints, uh, but yeah, I can't take that away from it. It's it's a very this game plays very well. And you're right. I mean, when I first got this on 3DO, it was it was amazing, and I love the 3DO. Uh, that's it's one of my favorite systems of all time. Uh, it, it had its fair share of shit games, but it also had a lot of really great games. And when Gex came out, you know, that was kind of the game it was missing. It was missing a really good 2D platform mascot kind of game. And for, for those of us that was still kind of holding on to the whole, you know, 16-bit era idea that this is just how it's going to be forever. You know, we're going to have our cool 2D platformers and it's never going to stop. You know, Gex was like a – it was – a really kind of a high watermark uh, for that time. I know Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong a Country had just came out not too long ago, and that was amazing for its time. But uh, to see a newcomer like Gex come out of nowhere and uh, challenge the big boys on a system that no one actually wanted and still be a really good game, it was, it was fairly shocking. I'm invincible. That's what I call getting some tail. Lock and load, little lizard. Time to teach someone some manners. One of the, one of the uh, I don't know if I'd say it's a complaint, one of the uh, flavors that this game has is because it was on a CD system and it's one of the first CD 2D platformers um, that would have come out on a, on a, you know, a larger system than like a CD add-on. Uh, Gex talks uh, a lot. There's a lot of speech in this game. Uh, he talks pretty much constantly throughout the entire game. Uh, on, even if you stand still, he'll start saying stuff. If you jump on certain things, he says stuff. If you if you walk to the right or left, he says stuff. He says stuff pretty much the entire wow. time. And at first, it's it's a little annoying because you know now they wouldn't do that as much because everyone realized, hey, we don't need to do this anymore. But there's a very narrow window of time where everything did this, and uh, and this game fully takes advantage of that. The benefit they have is that they le- they at least got a real voice actor uh, or comedian to do the voice. It's not just some like four or five phrases said over and over again. He's probably says like 300 or so things throughout the game. I mean, just lots of different things that every level seems to have kind of their own special phrases that he throws in only in those areas. I mean, for that, it's impressive, but it definitely got to the point where I thought, I'm just going to turn the volume all the way off while I play the rest of Gex. Like the slime boys, nice touch. Yeah, this place has all the warmth of a Dick Clark special. I just, oh, (laughs) this is... I guess it's a good thing that this is my biggest complaint because, I mean, this is something, yeah, easily you could turn. You can mute this thing if you want to. This was funny. I think the the first time you hear some things, I guess a chuckle out of you. Oh, and I mean, at the time, 
yeah, a lot of games were doing this, but they weren't doing it this well. I will give it that, uh, even though this is something highly annoying, this game's probably the best at it. Uh, but I just, uh, there's, there are several lines that just repeat so often over the course. If I had to hear it's tail time <laughs> on one more occasion. That I was the big catchphrase, though. It's tail time. You gotta, he's using his tail. You know, that was, that was supposed to be the, the cowabunga of the game or whatever. Well, you know, they did cowabunga once per episode, usually at the end. <laughs> but, uh, oh, it's tail time. Yeah. <laughs> so I would cut this game off, and it's like if you ever watch a movie or a cartoon where someone has, has hit their head and there's, you know, all the, the smaller heads circling around them, just spouting out different, fa- different phrases, there would be a little geck circling around me just saying it's tail time <laughs> over and over. I, I just heard that one so much, and I tried to keep count. I tried after I had noticed this was happening. I mean, because this is just something when you do your your basic attack. Uh, there's a chance he's gonna you're gonna get that. And once <laughs> I had once I had noticed that this was was common, I, I started trying to keep count. Uh, but I you know I, I took a break over a couple of days and came back and just got completely mixed up. But I had at least I had neared twenty at that <laughs> point in time. Well, it's especially frustrating when you get to uh, to a level that you're having a problem with or a boss fight you're having a problem with, and every time you go into the level, he says something. The last boss fight um, is one where he says one of, like, three things at the beginning, and I definitely heard those things probably 45 times each, and I was just, this was driving me crazy. But at the same time, it, it was done really well. It's Dana Gould, who was a, a comedian. He definitely did a, a number of stand-up and uh, TV appearances. He's, he's someone you'd recognize if you saw him, and, uh, and he does a lot of voices, and the voice sounds clear. Uh, but yeah, it's it's definitely repetitive, and I think it was the first thing I sent Jeremy was, man, I wish Gex talked more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's kind of weird that they got him to do this, and a lot of this, a lot of the voices in this game, or or a lot of the quips that that Gex says, are impressions of like you know other people, other movies, or stuff like that. And this guy is one of the worst people I have ever heard of doing impressions. I think he could do like the the Shaggy voice from Scooby pretty okay. <laughs> But everything else is just like your annoying friend that thinks he can do imp- impressions. And actually what this reminded me of was um, Jeremy P's other podcast. Um, <laughs> they sent me a uh, recording of, uh, I forget the guy's name, doing um. impressions. And <laughs> I was supposed to say, you know, who it sounded like or if, if it was close to what I, you know, who it was supposed to be. And... I didn't, you know, for the most of it, I was just like, I don't know what this guy is trying to do. He just cannot do impressions. If if this is what he thinks he can do, he should probably do something else. I, I will say that guy had an excellent Seinfeld. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> yeah, that's Don. He's the master of impressions, according to Don, but but according to no one else. So I, I am glad you helped me out with that. But yes, that's ex- exactly what these impressions are like. Half of the time, you're not sure if it's an impression or just like a, a bad quote or what it's supposed to be. Um, some of the jokes are definitely dated, even for 1995. Like, uh, you hit a TV and it falls to the ground. And it goes, "Hey, reruns of Rhoda." You're like, "Wow, that that was dated in '95. I wouldn't know what Rhoda was then. There's no way." Uh, so there was definitely a lot of uh, of uh, problems with that, but it, but still, it was funny. I did enjoy him, and even some of the dumb ones after hearing enough times, it's pretty funny because it's just so annoying. So this is New Jersey. Hey, it's Darth Vader's younger brother, Myron. If I had a life, I'd be glad to get back to it. 
if you can get past that, if you can ignore the uh, the constant quotes, uh, the actual game itself, uh, Gex has some fairly uh, varied abilities. He has the tail time attack, which we already mentioned. Uh, you can use your tongue to grab onto uh, power-ups that then will allow you to also sometimes shoot fire or ice or other things uh, with your tongue weapon as well. You can jump on guys like Mario. You can also climb all the walls and sometimes jump into the background and kind of climb up the background of a wall. Um, I found that to be a little harder to tell sometimes when I could or couldn't do that uh, to, to actually cling to the, the background almost. I don't know if that was a problem for everybody else because I was playing it on a Vita as opposed to on a TV. Uh, you Definitely, sometimes, yes. Um, in, at the beginning of the game, it's very obvious, those walls that you can kind of climb onto, because there's just, you know, it's a solid background on those those walls that you can latch onto in the background. But going through the rest of the game, there are times where there are actual walls in the background, but you just cannot grab onto them. Um, so it's it's kind of a kind of a bad design on that part but um for the most part i he's got a lot of moves and i almost think he's got too many mm. you know i thought they were might have just been kind of just throwing everything they could out there i don't think there's a real need for him to shoot fireballs and ice and electricity um you know it's it just it seems like it's just a bit too much for what this game has going for it well the other part is that those those power ups when you get them if you're hit once you lose the power up so mm-hmm. you'll get the, the fire shooting ability, and you're like, awesome. And then you'll walk to the right and shoot a few things with fire and then accidentally miss one or, or hit a spike or something, and all of a sudden you lose the ability to do it. So there were only a handful of parts in the game where I felt like I'm glad I have this ability because it made this one section possible. But I think they're almost designed like, hey, you have to get the pick up here. And then there's no way you can really get hurt unless you walk into an enemy for the next you know 50 feet. And for that part, you feel like you're un- invincible and amazing. But generally, yeah, a lot of those power-ups seem pretty useless. I ended up just using a lot of them for health. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. any, any power-up in the hit. game, if you smash it with your tail, you'll also get to use health instead of getting the power-up. Yeah, I mean, if you would have told me a game had too many varied power-ups and attacks, I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't quite believe it. But yeah, I think it's the case on this. I think you could have stuck to just, you know, your basic, you know, you got the tongue, you got the, you got that damn tail time. Uh, and yeah, you can climb all that stuff, you know, just the basic gecko like things would have, would have been enough. I thought, uh, the extra stuff, uh, it's, it's cool the first couple times you pull it off, but, and that's about it. Um, another trouble I had, and I, I'll have to say this got a little bit better. The first set of stages, they have that thing I hate in platformers where it's kind of maze-like. Uh, you don't quite know where you're headed immediately, and it's got those—it's got the warp spots around it also. And I just—I got really worried uh, within my first few minutes of playing this. Uh, that lightens up quite a bit, I think. But these first couple stages had me pretty concerned. They do do that. Um, yeah, at first, it does seem like they're just kind of going everywhere. Um, but I think for the most part, except for maybe that the second world, which is the cartoon world, I'm sure we'll mm-hmm. go through these different worlds. Um, that one was probably the worst for me as far as like a maze-like stage where it just seemed like it was going all over the place. And I didn't really know where I was trying to go. Um, but for the most part, I usually had a clear idea of which way I needed to go. And, uh, but you know, for, for some of those things, the maze like structure of the stages, you, you, they kind of had to do because of how the game is structured. 
and I'm, Jeremy will get into this in a second, but you have to find remotes to get past. Well, you don't have to actually find them to get past the world. You can, all, you can go all the way through the world and finish it, but you won't open up the next stage. Mm. And in every single one of these stages, there is a TV remote that you have to find that will open up the next level. So you actually have to explore and go off on these other directions to find the remote. So it's not like they're there just to lead you off in some wrong, wrong direction. For the most part, that's just kind of where you need to go to find the remote. Yeah, I mean, that's the, the basic story of the game is that Gex is a lizard who's sitting at home watching television because he loves to watch television. They have a whole backstory in the manual on how much he loves to watch television. doesn't play into the game at all, except that while he's watching his giant television, uh, the enemy of the game, who's kind of this almost like a fly robot. I'm not really sure what he's supposed to be. Uh, his name is Raz or Rez, and he sucks you into the TV to try to steal your power to escape the TV, as my understanding. So the levels consist of you going to through these different uh, areas and finding remotes to turn on new TVs that lead to new levels. Uh, so the first world you go to, after, other than the main hub world, the first world you go to is, is the graveyard area. And uh, that that's a pretty straightforward area. There's definitely some... Uh, to make the levels a little more interesting other than just going you know, back and forth. Uh, there are warp areas where basically you walk to a section of the screen. It looks almost like there's a rip in the screen. You can walk into it and it teleports you somewhere else. And then they have these cameras. Uh, they're like, I think they're supposed to be cameras. And you tail whip them and they turn from yellow to purple or purple to yellow. And it's like it opens, it changes the map. It'll say, oh, there's a wall here. Well, in a purple world, there's no wall here. And you have to kind of go back and forth between the warp areas and the camera settings to get to the exit of the world, which is another television, and hopefully find the remote in the process. I thought generally, for the basic remotes that open up the next worlds, they are not that hard to find. In many levels, they're almost right next to the exit. Uh, but there were definitely a few where I missed it. And then when I found it, it was literally right in front of me. But for some reason, in the middle of doing everything else, running and dodging and climbing, you just walk right by it and don't realize it's there and you finish the level and you have to go back through it again. I, I did find that to be a, a little annoying that you had to, to find something to open the next world as opposed to just finishing it. But at the same time, it wasn't, again, with a few exceptions, it wasn't a big deal because it was almost like you couldn't miss that remote unless you tried. Yeah, and I mean, and I went in, that's how much attention I, I, I paid. I, I wasn't sure about that at first. I didn't know the remotes were a, a vital thing until I finally did miss one. But I mean, I made it pretty far and got those remotes, you know, not knowing what they were, but, you know, understanding they had to have some kind of importance uh so yeah i mean they're not that hard to miss uh, i don't think they get all that tricky except for maybe just a time or two obviously i don't think they they want you to go you know play through this game and then in in, in frustration have to backtrack and all that so they're they're a little a little more lenient than some other games that have a similar mechanic I think the first world that that graveyard area is uh it's pretty straightforward. There's not a I mean it's it's good to teach the mechanics of the game, but there's nothing that that's really crazy. The worlds are the maps are a fairly good size but not too too large. They don't make you go back and forth a whole lot. It's pretty much start on one side of the map, go through the map, you'll end on the other side with a with the exit to get out. Uh, there is a boss. There are bosses at the end of each of these worlds. Generally they're not hard, but sometimes it would take me some time to figure out what I was supposed to do at all. Did anyone have any problems with any of the bosses as far as not even know what you're supposed to do? Um, the, the second one for me, I especially had problems with that when I was a kid because uh, he will run back and forth 
at you and you can like uh, jump on top of them and do your tail attack but nothing really works. Um, what you're actually supposed to use is the are the uh, these giant weights or anvils at the top of the stage that you have to cut with your tail uh, to fall on top of him. And if you don't actually take the time to go up there, you won't even know that they're up there. So I, I think I just randomly went up there at one point as a kid and was like, oh, shit, okay, these are up here. And they only actually appear when you're able to hit him with one. You just can't use them whenever. He's got to be flying back and forth uh, across the room, which is like the second or third phase of his attack. So that was just one of those things where it's just like, you know, it doesn't really show you what you need to do to to, to beat this boss or anything. And it, it really confused me. Well, and I think all the bosses have, except for one, I think all have me- uh, several different phases. Sometimes you can't hurt them in certain phases. Other times the, the, the fight completely changes in those phases. And in the case of the last boss, it seemed kind of random at what phase would happen at what time. And sometimes that would make it really easy to finish him. And other times it made it nearly impossible. There were some of his attacks. I still don't know how you're supposed to dodge effectively. I could not. Um, but, but generally, yeah, I, I like the boss fights. I thought they were different enough from each other. It wasn't like each fight was the same fight. In fact, one of the, one of the bosses in the, uh, whatever the Asian themed world is, uh, is just a, or no, I'm sorry. The jungle themed world is just this giant snake that, bursts out of holes that you just have to avoid the whole way up to the top and then eventually like you know you you defeat him but essentially it's just like a a scene you watch at the end of making it to the top that was very frustrating and very hard uh, that's 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 an asshole boss right there that That is yeah because i mean every single jump you have to make has is like the longest jump that the game could possibly make you make (laughs) and you have to do it perfect every time and if you don't you're going right back down and, and there's parts of that where you can hang on to the background, like we talked about, but then there, there was a lot of things in your way, so you couldn't really use that to get anywhere. If anything, it would yeah. help you kind of guide yourself back to a foothold, but then it was still back to those ridiculous jumps. And it's not even just that they're super long, it's that they, the landing point for a lot of those jumps is the tiniest block you can land on. And if you, you miss it at all, or if you overshoot, or if you even are running when you land, you go right off the side. Extremely frustrating. But at the same time, I thought the jumping in the game was a little bit floaty, but not terribly floaty. I got used to it, but they're definitely, it took a little bit of time, especially in that second world. So after the first world, which was Graveyard Land, you go to, I think it's Cartoon World or Toon World. Yeah. And that's the one that you mentioned where the maps kind of go everywhere. And it does seem to be a lot of nonsense. a lot of maps that that have you warping around through those cameras to change the world back and forth and and taking warps to go from one side of the map to the other and and maps go out into nowhere for no good reason it's definitely a you know kind of that bizarre cartoon area but it makes the maps almost unintelligible yeah i i had a big a lot of trouble with this one uh and this was frustrating and it, this is early on in the game too and like i said my first you know, the first stretch I played this game, uh, I really, uh, and it's usually the opposite. You know, usually a game starts off strong with me. As I play along, it really starts to wear, and, and a lot of things happen that I just I just consider cheap or, or along those lines that I get frustrated. I started off this one 
super frustrated. And, and I feel like maybe they had a moment of realization after this one because it's never that frustrating again. Uh, this is definitely the second world is the one you have to slog through. And that's the one that like every single time I go back to play Gex, um, that one gets me. And if I just have to try my best to get through that world. And, and once I do, I'm fine with that game. Like, but yeah, that, that second world is, is really just a, it's rough to get through. The only level I liked in that world, uh, the, the others I played through, I didn't I don't think I hated it as much as, as you guys don't, didn't like it, but I definitely did not enjoy it. But the, the one where you ride the rockets the whole time, I actually yeah, liked that, that cool. level. Yeah. I thought that was a neat mechanic. Mm-hmm. Instead of just having uh, you know, a level where the whole thing is on a rocket and you're supposed to shoot things or dodge things, no. Instead, these rockets just constantly shoot out and you use them as platforms. and uh, it, It's made it more interesting. I did enjoy that. Um, so after Cartoon Land, I believe it's Jungle World. Uh, I'm probably naming all these very wrong, but it's a jungle nice. area. Uh, and that's one of that horrible boss with the rocks. But otherwise, I didn't think those levels were that tough. Um, that's one of those ones where that's when I realized you, that jumping into the background would be a necessity for a lot of the levels. After that is Kung Fu World, which everything is Asian-themed. <laughs> um, I didn't have any problems there at all. I mean, that was, that was a more straightforward, like, actually, uh, combat was more important in that, I think, than the other ones. But it was still pretty, pretty straightforward for maps. I didn't get lost too often. I didn't have any problems getting through it. And then uh, the last regular world is Raz's Fortress, uh, where you go through a couple really difficult uh, and fairly long levels, uh, and then you fight the last boss of the game, uh, which I've already kind of discussed, but it, it's, it's a, one of those long fights. There's a lot of like dodging things and jumping on things, and then you have like a 10-second opening to do something. And you have to do it perfectly, and then you have to sit through another whole series of running and jumping and dodging until you have another chance. And, and you have to do it five times to, and get lucky and, and have the right things happen. Uh, that, I don't know if it's just that I'm not that good at that style of boss anymore, one that's not just uh, straight combat, but that it was almost like a dance, and I'm not that good at those kind of things. Um, but I had a lot of problems with the last boss. My, my trouble with that, and that's kind of the standard uh, 90s side-scrolling game boss. You know, you, uh, there's the, the whole choreographed thing he goes through. You get that opening. And I just, I don't know if it's my lack of patience. Uh, it, it's, it was hard for me to do as a child. It's, it's painful now. Uh, if I can, I'm much better with a kind of a boss where, yeah, you have to be on your toes the whole time. You never know what's going to happen. I can stay engaged with that. But I find that when I, I know I have to do this, I have to jump here, I have to dodge this, you know, I have to wait. About ten seconds, then I can get my shot in. I my mind just just wanders, and I start getting real sloppy as it goes along. And I get sloppy to the point to where you know I uh, I die, and then I've got to start again. And it just gets worse for me the whole time. But I mean that, that's that's hard to complain about with this game because that was something that was was very prevalent at the time. It's not like this game has has invented that of uh, you know shitty last boss fight. Uh, but yeah, that's that's a tough one for me. That kind of style. That's something I'm honestly kind of glad isn't around as much anymore. And I'm the same way. Like I I hate invincible states with bosses. Mm-hmm. I really hate when I'm sitting there shooting them and they're not taking damage. I have to wait until the game decides that I'm able to shoot them and and do damage to them. And that's usually after a good three or four minutes of of doing their song and dance routine of whatever the hell they're doing, and then that's exactly what this last boss is. He goes through two or three different things where you are going back and forth across this large expanse of a room. The, the camera's actually zoomed out 
for a good chunk of it. And uh, you're dodging all these things. You're, you're having to platform back and forth across, across exploding TVs. And then you, you just get a few seconds to go over and, and hit them and do damage to them. And it's, it's just bullshit. And like Billy said, it's just kind of a product of its time. That's just how things were back then for a lot of bosses. But, you know, it's still I, I never liked it as a kid. And I especially don't like it now. I think more infuriating than just the small amount of time is that when you finally get that window of time, you have one shot. It's not like, mm-hmm. oh, you have 10 seconds, you can fire 100 times, you'll hit him. No, no, you get one shot one with shot. this app, with this item. And if you, uh, you know, one of the, the phases when he does it, he kind of flies up diagonally towards you. If you miss him by just, just a pixel, it misses him, and then you've lost your chance to even try to do damage to him again for another, you know, two minutes. Yeah. It's, a, it's a long boss. But, yeah, you're right. A lot of games do that. It's not unheard of but uh i guess it's, i'm just not used to it anymore so when i got to it i was just i was like man i, I gotta finish this for this podcast i barely ever finish these games i'm at the last boss i'm gonna do this i've got to get through <laughs> it um so that's actually not the real i guess it's the real end but there are some hidden levels that i don't know how i ever would have found ever if i didn't know ahead of time or have a game fact or something that said how to get to them i think this is probably the craziest way to have a set of bonus levels that i've seen uh, anywhere it's not like you, you go through all the levels and you, you find uh, 100 stars or, or you, know, you beat all the levels and get all the, those uh, remotes and that opens it up or you find a hidden remotes. No, there's like these weird hidden bonus games in each of the worlds. I think there's only five of them or four of them. And they're, they're definitely weird bonus games. They're, like One of them is you jump up and you have to hit these skulls that fly around with your tail to hit guys and kill them in this little short time. And it just seemed to me at the time when I found them, because they're also hidden. You have to find where these things are hidden and then, and then get through them all perfect. Um, but I thought it was just bonus points, so I didn't even worry about it until I looked up later to see, you know, how do I get to these bonus worlds? And, uh, and no, you have to go through all the bonus games and get perfects in them. And then it'll unlock the extra, I guess it's an extra whole set of worlds. Uh, Jeremy was telling me it was some of the best worlds in the game. I looked them up on, online. They do look interesting, but I don't know how I ever would have found that ever. I found him as a kid on my own somehow, and I don't remember. I, I remember how I f- knew that there was an extra world in the game because the 3DO version had a sound test, and one of the uh, a couple of the b- music files that you could listen to was from something called Planet X, and I had never seen that or, or heard that in the game, so I knew there had to be something in there, um, and I think just by luck, I finished uh, one of those bonus stages completely perfect and then you get a piece of um planet x remote and once you do you open up an entire it's as big as every other world in the game uh it's it's not just a couple of stages here and there it's it's a full world that you can actually open up and and explore and the stages in planet x are absolutely insane like they are it's really hard to describe it's just like the developers are just kind of fucking with you um, one of the stages is actually just this huge, huge maze. And I think it's actually just called the maze whenever you enter it. And there's, you can walk around this stupid maze for, you know, dozens of minutes and find some really weird shit. There's like one, um, one warp you can go into that has you fighting a, a digitized version of one of the developers, I think like a fighting game. Mm. And if you beat him, then you, you're, you, you, win the stage but that's just one of the four or five different ways out of that stage that you can beat it and it it was so weird as a kid just going around just exploring to see what all kind of really weird shit was was in that maze and even the rest of the stages 
is are are very just strangely designed. Um, you know, kind of like just castoffs or, or experiments that they wanted to do, but they threw into the game and, and made them actual stages. And especially as a kid, I loved it because it was just like these don't conform to anything like I had ever played in another 2D game. These were just kind of just for fuck around sake. And that's that's one reason I was kind of hoping you guys would get to, to Planet X because it was just so weird. I think if we had if I had had this game you know, on PS1 or especially if I had it on 3DO, I, I would have eventually you know done whatever it took to find that because you're right it is knowing that there's this extra world and, and the ones i watched online um i didn't look at the maze one apparently but the ones i saw almost look reminded me of the uh, the star worlds in one of the mario games where it's like here's a super hard thing that you need to have this one skill really master to get through and yeah the one i saw yeah. was uh the whole level is just a uh there's no checkpoints it's just one long uh you know you have to jump on these guys heads over and over and over again. Every time you jump on their heads, you can only jump on them twice before they explode, and there's only so many of them, so you have to time it perfectly. Um, I mean, it looked like something I would have enjoyed but been very frustrated with, um, but it, it was also a thing where if you time it right and you're good at it, you can get through the level in 35 seconds. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that, that reminded me of the Star Wars a lot. But, uh, yeah, I did not find them this time. I didn't, uh, I didn't even find all the bonus games. I think I only found two of them, and then by the time I realized what you had to do, I was like, you know what, we're going to record this soon. And then I didn't have a lot of time after we missed the first recording date, so I, I didn't get a time to go back and play them again. But those did look like interesting levels, and I, I did think it was a bizarre way to find them, especially because it's not listed in the manual really anywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I completely just uh, missed. I didn't know there were these secret worlds until I think Jeremy had mentioned it to us. Uh, but yeah, I went and I looked at some videos. I mean, they look interesting. They look, they look, if you like the game... Uh, if you were a big fan of it, like Jeremy, uh, and probably if I owned this back as a as a kid, because I like to just completely exhaust every game I had, uh, I would definitely would have got into these. But as it stands today, you know, having finished the game, uh, the notion of going back in, I'd had enough tail time at this point. <laughs> I, I I think it's good enough. I, I gave them a viewing. I don't think I'd be good enough to get through them anyway uh, without just the maximum amount of frustration. I think, you know, as, as a kid, finding, like, a whole new world of, of oh, game, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was something. I mean, that you was like... You didn't see that. You got a, you got a level every now and then, or you got, yeah. a, like, a bonus minigame. So that's, that's pretty amazing. Well, apparently, Gex was fairly popular uh, after it showed up on other systems because they did make two sequels. Uh, Gex 2 Enter the Gecko and Gex 3 Deep Cover Gecko. Uh, both of those, though, look to be more of a, a straight 3D platformer. And I know Jeremy said you enjoyed those. Uh, I watched the videos and I saw nothing notable about them. But did they did they play a lot like this, but somehow made the transformation into 3D? Uh, yeah, it's it, they try to be you know try to take the core Gex gameplay and make it work in kind of like a Super Mario 64 collectathon style stage or game. And it, it, for the most part, for its time, it pulled it off. But trying to play those now, they're they're just unplayable. Um, I think Enter the Gecko is actually the better game. Uh, the first sequel that they did, I mean, it, it stays kind of true to the first one where you're going around this big hub world. I mean, it's the most boring hub world you've ever seen. Um, going into these different themed worlds like you do in the first Gex. And each one, I mean, they all look really different. And for back then when it was kind of hard to find any sort of variety in, in any PlayStation 3D game. Uh, Gex delivered in that department, I'll say that much. But as far as like the, being able to play it now, there's absolutely no way. It is just a, strictly a product of its time, just one of those very 
early 3D platformers that are really, really not fun to play now because it's just they're too hard to control. Things have progressed too much for anyone new to it to come in and find any enjoyment out of it whatsoever. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I thought when I saw them. I, I didn't they didn't look noto- you know, very pretty. They didn't look like they controlled extremely well. But again, I didn't control it. I was just watching some videos. Um, but I think a lot of those early 3D games, unless they've really mastered what they were doing, Super Mario 64, despite that I'm not a huge fan, I can't deny is a, a great game. I think games like um, the Crash Bandicoot series, because they're not truly 3D worlds, they're kind of 3D looking tunnels. And, and that makes them playable still. They, they still hold on to a lot of the 2D um, gameplay, even though it looks more 3D and involved. It's, it hadn't had to make the shift to 3D that a lot of games did very, very poorly. Um, but I think if you know, I would recommend this game to anyone who likes 2D platformers, um, especially if I, you know, I didn't play this when it was new because at that time, you know, if it wasn't 3D, I wasn't interested. But I should have because this is a solid 2D platformer that I ended up hunting for games like this later in the system's life when I was tired of bad 3D. That's when I went and found Skull Monkeys that we talked about before. And I, I went back and tried to find all these other 2D platformers that I could never have tried. I totally overlooked Gex and I probably shouldn't have. It's it's definitely I think it's got a weird reputation as being like a really bad game. And I don't understand why. I think it's just, it's easy to rip on these kind of games because, you know, it was a mascot platformer and, you know, trying to be all super attitude and and saying some crazy stuff that's supposed to be funny. And uh, it's easy to rag on it for those things. But as far as just being a bad game, I don't think it's, it's a bad game at all. It's, it's, it's fine. I mean, I realize most of what, how I like it is from nostalgia, but if you're going to sit here and, and, and to my face tell me that Gex is a legitimately terrible game, I think you're crazy. And, and you know, and I, I can't do that personally. Uh, it's uh, a lot of annoying aspects to it, uh, kind of that maze-like uh, structure some levels have. And the dialogue, yeah, that's a product of its time. I mean, that is completely... Uh, a 90s thing to just you know have these these animal mascots uh delivering all the the one-liners they can fit in uh but yeah that's that's super annoying uh but it's not a bad game uh, it's just if you would cut the uh cut the quips by about 90 percent uh it would be much more enjoyable and if you would take out some of the uh some of those just obtuse maze-like stages, uh, then you'd have, I mean, a, a near, you know, kind of perfect game uh, of its type, you know, the 2D platformer. It's still a really solid game. It's still a lot of fun. Uh, if if you are, I mean, shit, considering that most of the references are were dated at that time, uh, if you're younger and playing that thing now, you know, good luck. <laughs> have, have, have Wikipedia nearby. Uh, to look up half this stuff, um, but yeah, I mean, it's still a lot of fun. Uh, it's, it's. I think it's honestly, if you missed this one, uh, and you were big on the, the PlayStation One, or if you're big on the uh, the 16-bit uh, side scroller, uh, I think this is definitely one worth picking up. Uh, the humor isn't for all. I'd say it's not for most. But shit, if you found this thing funny on top of that, uh, then this is probably going to be your new favorite. <laughs> Something we You're probably really going to need to learn what Rhoda is as well. So just get that get that looked up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I'm going to pass. 
I think I have a fair idea of what Brody is. It has nothing to do with Gex. One of the things I, <laughs> I wanted to bring up, but I didn't really know how to bring up, but it's good enough time at the end. When you first turn this game on, if you don't do anything for a second, it plays a Crystal Dynamics ad from from right when this game came out that shows all their really cool games and it's like these kids in a schoolyard threatening to beat each other up or whatever it's the most ridiculous it's the kind of thing when you watch it now you're kind of embarrassed to be into games <laughs> and i loved that it was there i must have watched it like five times just like just feeling like man what a tool i ever was to think this kind of stuff <laughs> was cool because it's really embarrassingly bad and you know if we were kids watching that we'd be like oh man this is so cool i can't yeah. believe this it's just weird to see an ad in a game uh, for other games that that company makes. I mean, it's not it's not like it's totally bizarre, but that's you know it's the kind of the start of the CD CD time frame where they weren't really sure, you know, developers weren't sure what to do with this thing yet. So why don't we put ads in it like we would in a movie? Why wouldn't you do that? Just bizarre. It's yeah, really but, weird. Like you know, Crystal Dynamics was like the big player on the 3DO. You know, that's kind of where they they really got their start. Uh, and, and a lot of the the biggest 3DO games, I mean, they, a lot of them weren't great, you know, but uh, they they really had a big impact on the 3DO and and that's this is really where Crystal Dynamics uh, got their start and for anyone wanting to know who these guys are now they they make the Tomb Raider games they made the Legacy of Kane games the Soul Reaver you know they made some legit classic games in their time and still do and they all got their kind of their big start with uh with Gex This looks like an all-nighter at Richard Simmons' house all this because of Rosebud. So that's our thoughts on Gex, a uh, early PlayStation game, earlier 3DO game. Uh, generally, generally enjoyable. Um, this week we actually have some more listener questions. We're thankful for listener ma- uh, mail and questions. So, what's the question for this week, Jeremy? All right, this week we got a question from Emilio. I don't think it's Emilio Estevez. He did not put his last name, but uh, I would not if I was Emilio Estevez. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Emilio writes in to ask. Um, Hey guys, love listening to the show, but in a previous episode, you mentioned your favorite classic game endings and Mario 2 was brought up as one of the best. My jaw instantly dropped because I refuse to believe that not one of you had any beef with what has to be one of video gaming's biggest cop-out endings ever. Yes, I realize it's an, NES, it's an NES game, but but come on. it's the It was the laziest thing Nintendo could have done, and it all but ruined the game for me since suddenly none of it even mattered. How can anyone say this ending was even close to being good? Okay, well, that was mine, I think. Uh, but I think we all agreed with it. And, and I'll say I stand by it. First off, for Nintendo, there weren't a lot of endings, which we did bring up at the time. But it's not that the level ends and he's all of a sudden in some weird area and, and in some trouble and then he wakes up and it's all a dream and it's okay. I mean, we talked about young Merlin last week, and that ending is essentially that. He finishes, you know, he saves the world, saves the girls, and, uh, and then all of a sudden like, he gets hit in the head with a rock and then wakes up and it was all a dream. Like, that's a cop-out ending. That's terrible. This one, he had his, he, they had a celebration for Mario and Luigi and the princess and Toad and everybody, and everyone's very excited. They carry uh, Wart out and everyone's you know very happy to see that Wart is gone and in the middle of the celebration it zooms out and it's all a dream that he's having at the time I don't know it, it's not the same thing as a cop on anything you got to see the good ending but then instead of just saying like great now Mario lives in this bizarre world where people throw carrots at each other instead it's just a dream I'm okay with that uh, I don't think it was a bad ending at all yeah, and in this game I think honestly uh, if you played the first Mario and then you got into this one this was one of the only logical ways to end this game uh, this is such a departure from the series. And I hate when games 
uh, movies when and TV shows when they do this, and you think all oh, this this serious shit's gone down, and you find out it's all a dream. Uh, but this is just so outlandish from the very beginning, and so dreamlike from the beginning, uh, with the you know the gigantic fall uh, at the beginning, just falling from the sky into this into this world. I think uh, it's one of those when you find out it's a dream, you can look back at the start and say, "Oh, yeah, that makes sense." Uh, and I think they've they've further helped that out by not really incorporating a lot of those enemies into the the proper Mario Brothers titles afterwards. I mean, they've ended up in the the spinoffs and things like that, but they've they've done well. I mean, Wart has not uh, come back in any major capacity that I'm aware of. Uh, I think that in this case, for a game that was such a departure from the norm, uh, that it was a, a completely logical ending and probably one of the best ways to go with it. I, I think for me, I don't even have to really justify it that much. I was just excited that an NES game had an ending <laughs> that wasn't a, a badly translated, you know, congratulations or something. Just It, it, was, it was so nice to actually just have a, something that, closed the story to what you were playing and I, I can understand why people may be playing this now or, or you know in the last decade or so or even before that would think that it's kind of you know it's a dumb ending yeah. and if you're playing if you're doing it like that or taking it from from that perspective then yes it is it's a big cop-out ending but uh from us for, for us back then shit i mean that was a hell of an ending to, oh, to just, find just that graphic of mario at the end uh, yeah. That was probably the greatest, uh, that was probably the best looking thing graphics wise I had seen at that point in time. And the music on it was amazing. I still yes. know that music. It, I would listen to the end music, just sit there at that screen <laughs> watching Mario sleep and just let that music play, uh, which was probably a sign at that time that would have shown me that my the rest of my life is going to be filled <laughs> with disappointment. But uh, but I did enjoy that, I, I, the music at the end. And, and yeah, it is, if I would have just said, yeah, Mario wakes up at the end and it was a dream, that's kind of a cop out of his you know, ending, but. It just somehow works there. I think we've all kind of hit on why it works, and uh, and that's why we stand it and we stand by it. Uh, excellent, uh, <laughs> excellent question though. If you have more questions, please send them to us uh, via Twitter or Facebook or uh, or on the Retrovania.net website. Uh, until then, next episode, uh, which should show up in two weeks, we should have this one on time. We're going to go back to the Nintendo Entertainment System for Goonies Two, one of my favorite games of all time. Well, you know. Uh, this game I played a lot back then, and I, I can't recall if I enjoyed it or not. I remember uh, the the soundtrack was was excellent. I'm gonna hopefully, oh, I hope it holds up. We'll see. But uh, with Goonies two, uh, you know the the sort of sequel to the film, we're gonna have to discuss something pretty heavy next time. Uh, I've got something. Uh, I've got another dark secret. I'm gonna have to bring up. Uh oh! I hope you guys can handle it. Can you? Can we wait two weeks to find out? You'll have to. So check us out in two weeks. But until then, please check us out on Retrovania.net. Uh, constant new reviews. There was a review of Jaws put up recently for the Nintendo. But until then, please make sure to follow us on Twitter and on Facebook. And hey, why don't you give us a review on iTunes? It would make us feel really good. And we'll see you next time. Shades on a fighting machine Whipping tail Spitting fire He's a wizard of the lizard killer Gecko fire He's a